Well, it's football season and we're following our teams. If you've ever been on any type of sport team or coach any team, you'll understand this truth that a team must play at optimal capacity. When you come, time to kick off or to tip off or whatever sport it applies, the first pitch, there's an emotional component to sports that teams need to be performing at optimal capacity. And this is the job, by and large, of the head coach to get the team playing to its full potential, not only in preparation, but emotionally, so that they're up and they're ready to go. And so what happens is this, is you've got to push a team during practice. Because teams practice, they play the way they practice. And so you have to push a team, you have to sometimes break them down emotionally, you have to have them reach new limits so when it's time to perform, when it's time to do whatever you're, you're going to do, to even in choirs to sing or on dance teams to dance, that they have pushed themselves to a point that they'll be at optimal performance capacity. But the other side of the coin is true also. If you push the team too hard and if you're too harsh on them, or if they are emotionally depleted or physically sore, then when it comes to game time, they're not gonna perform to the capacity they're supposed to either. So it's kind of an art. And a coach has to learn the personality of the team, learn the characteristics of the team, and has to manage the energy output so that when it starts, they're at the highest level of energy possible. Now, this is easy to identify when it comes to sports because it's real easy to look at a team and say, hey, they weren't ready. That coach didn't get them ready. And it's real easy to make it less personal. That squad, they weren't ready to play. The coach didn't get them ready. But what we don't often see is how this applies to us personally. Because in personal behavior, we're the same way. Our emotions, our energy level, our performance, there's an ebb and there's a flow to it. There's an up and there's a down. Uh, there's times when we're at our highest capacity and there's other times when we're performing below our ability. So let me ask you this. You know, what's important to you? What are the things that you value? Whether it's being an effective spouse or an effective parent or whether it's contributing to a team that you're on, are your performance at work or accomplishing what you're supposed to in academically or in goals that you've set? Whatever that is, uh, you have to manage your energy and manage your time and manage your emotions and manage all of these things so that when you are needed, you are there. I mean, when, when it's time to be involved in what's important to you, you are present and you are there. If it's dating your spouse, it's not enough just to eat food on the other side of the table. Your spouse, you have to be emotionally engaged and to have conversation and to be there. And I always do that perfectly, don't I, Beth? Yeah, she, she gave a sarcastic look to me. But, but on top of that, this applies, you know, to work, showing up to work well-rested and with the right amount of energy. A few years ago, I was having a casual conversation with my dentist who's quite a few years older than me and he made this comment. He said, you know, the key to a great day is the night before. 
That little comment stuck with me. And I realized that as I was aging and as I'm getting older, that I have to make decisions the night before to have a great day the next day. And nutrition and sleep and whatever the case is. Because it's all about our attitude. I mean, it's all about our attitude. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's what the scripture the scripture is going to speak to us clearly. And the scripture is truly our life coach. And I want you to know this, that I've enjoyed these messages in this series. But before I pass this message to you, the Holy Spirit is taking this scripture and just slapping me in the face, rearranging my priorities. I mean, God is working on me before I pass this on to you. And today we have an opportunity uh, to look at our attitude because our attitude affects everything we do and everything we say. Now, I believe this about our attitude. I believe that everyone has a choice in their attitude. Some people don't naturally have a great attitude and others have a, naturally have a bad attitude. I think that when it comes to our attitude, uh, it is a reflection of choices that we make. And you have to look at your attitude very much like you would look at a muscle. Uh, you have to care for a muscle in order for a muscle to be strong. So a muscle needs to be used. A muscle needs to be stretched. A muscle needs proper rest. A muscle needs nutrition. I think our attitude's the same way. Our attitude needs to be stretched. We need to be in situations that stretch us. Our attitude needs to be used. Um, our attitude needs rest sometimes. And we have to manage our attitude so we can give it and give it to its full capacity, especially in light of what God wants us to do and what God wants us to say. So what is the definition of an attitude? Well, there's a lot of different ones, but this definition, I think it's in you version. I don't think it made the review. So listen closely or write it down. An attitude is an inward feeling expressed by behavior. It's a good definition, isn't it? I'm going to say it again. An attitude is an inward feeling expressed by behavior, an inward feeling expressed by behavior. So let's go to the passage because that's what's really going to be strong today. The scripture is going to speak to you today. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says it this way. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. The title of our message is be fervent, be fervent. Now, immediately I see this phrase, and because I love the Holy Spirit, I love teaching on the Holy Spirit, I think, well, this means be fervent in the Holy Spirit. But on more careful examination of the text, it's really talking about the spirit of the man. Be fervent in your spirit, or another way to put that is your attitude. That's what I believe this is saying. Be fervent in attitude. Be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in your inward emotions. And we're going to break this down and talk about this and look at different components of why this is important. Now, something that you've done and I've done before is I've done the right action but had the wrong heart. If you've ever assigned chores to your children, you know this is the case. The child will clean the room because they don't want to be homeless. But that's the only reason. Their heart's not in it. 
All right, their heart's not connected to it. And I've been there too. So I cast no judgment on the children. I, I, I have that same problem. Is there some stuff I do because I know I need to do it and I'm supposed to do it and I have to do it, but my heart's not into it. You see, an attitude is not just what you do. It's, it's, the, it's the why behind the what. It's why you're doing it. It's the attitude that you have. It's the zeal that you have. It's the fervor that you had. Now, you may remember the story of Jonah. God called Jonah to go to a people that Jonah despised. God had a word for these people. And the word was, repent, or judgment's gonna come. Well, Jonah didn't wanna go. And when he, he didn't obey God, a, a big fish came and swallowed Jonah. And he spent three days in the digestive system of a huge fish and decided to change his mind and got get thrown up on the beach. So you may remember the story. Now, this is after all of that happened. After Jonah was swallowed by the fish, after he was spewed up on the beach. And this is what happened. And this is not in your notes. You want to write this down. Jonah 3.10, Jonah 3.10 through 4.1. We see what happens. You think this is good news. Then God saw their actions, talking about the Ninevites, that they had turned from their evil ways. This is a good thing, right? So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them. This is a good news verse, right? I mean, this is great. God decided not to destroy a people because Jonah obeyed him and he did not do it. Now look at the next verse, chapter four, verse one. But Jonah was greatly displeased and he became furious. Here's an example of someone who did the right thing but didn't have the heart behind the action. And there's other ramifications of this. Go, go read the book of Jonah sometime. It, it, you can read it in one setting. We see a lot of ourselves in Jonah. Jonah did what he was supposed to do, but he was ticked off about it. And his attitude wasn't right. And he, he didn't accomplish what God wanted him to do. So I, I want to challenge you on your attitude today. I know every one of you are gonna be challenged because I have been. Your, your inner thoughts, your your heart behind your actions. And, and I want to be very specific about this because God's very specific. Your, your attitude specifically about the things of God, about the kingdom of God, about the purpose of God. I know this can apply everywhere, but specifically God's saying, be diligent, be fervent in serving the Lord. Be fervent in serving the Lord. Now, one of the things that attracted me to my wife, Beth, if you don't know her, is her contagious, energetic personality. Now, she is naturally kind of a home homebody. I mean, she likes to stay at home and kind of reflect. But when she gets around people, I mean, it's all energy. I mean, it's a party waiting to happen. She comes into a room and it's just, girlfriend, what's going on? And what's, how are you? And hello. And, and I, I'm, she's always the most popular person where we go. I'm just a sidekick and I'm managing our time, wanting to go on to the next task. She's getting to know everybody. And that's one of the things that, that attracted me to her. That's one of the things that I liked about her. Just this contagious, fun, energetic attitude. Now, Pastor Matt Malone he has that same type of personality. But I want to say, Matt, I'm not attracted to you in any way, shape, or form. But, I mean, Matt is just, I mean, he's just a joyful spaz for the Lord. 
So we, we have in our office, just a few of us that work there and Penny Sims and Deborah Jackson will come in and this little bell rings and we have a rule. You have to say, it's me it's because if you're in your office that way, we don't have to walk out the door and see who it is. So Deborah will come in and say, it's me. Penny will come in and say, it's me. Matt doesn't come in. He bounces in. He said, hallelujah. Come on, Pastor Aaron. You're ready for today. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy, man. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. This guy, this guy, we're going to have to put padding in our hallway of our offices so we can bounce here to there. So these guys have this contagious, exciting, fun personality. Now, I want to tell you that honestly, they're outliers. I mean, they're, they're, they're not your typical people. I mean, they're very unique personalities. Uh, not all of us are this way. Not all of us have this type of excitement, but the first point that I think the scripture is telling us today about our attitude is we need to have an attitude that energizes, an attitude that energizes. Now, the, the passage says that. The passage says, don't be, don't, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy in serving the Lord. Have energy. Now, here's the deal. We immediately think, wow, wouldn't it be great to have Beth or Matt's demeanor? But can I tell you that Having an attitude that energizes does have nothing to do with your personality. It all has to do with your attitude. Now, Pastor Deborah Jackson is a friend of mine. I've been friends with Deborah for 17 years. She's a lovely lady. Uh, she's intelligent. She's, she has so many great qualities. But you don't associate the word bubbly with Deborah. I mean, she's not like this ray of sunshine necessarily, you know, she's not, she's not, you know, uh, uh, bouncing around like, uh, wanting to, wanting to have girlfriend time and all this kind of stuff. What Deborah does is she energizes us another way while Matt and Beth are bouncing around the hallways, uh, just having fun and talking. Deborah just has this energy that says, hey, is anyone going to clean out the closet that no one's looked at for three years? Have we ever thought about repainting the hallway that no one's repainted? And so she has this, let's get the job kind of done energy. And that comes from her positive attitude. She has a positive attitude that says, hey, let's, let's get a task done. Let's get a job done. Let's get something done. So this attitude of energy doesn't have to do with your personality. Whether, whether you're outgoing or whether you're more quiet, it all has to do with a choice you make and an attitude you make. Now, when it comes to serving the Lord, there is a drift that happens. We naturally have our enthusiasm for the things of God drift away. Do you want to know how I know this? It's because Paul wrote these words to a specific church in the city of Rome almost 2,000 years ago. So this was an issue for those in Rome years ago, and it can become an issue for us. It certainly has been an issue for me. Now let's look at Romans 12, 11 in a slightly different version, the ESV. ESV says it this way. Do not be slothful in zeal. So this phrase, instead of saying, don't lack diligence, which is important, don't lack diligence in the Holman, here it says, don't be slothful in zeal. Zeal is talking about that excitement. So don't be lazy. Don't be slothful in zeal. Now this word slothful 
which is a mouthful to say, it is used only one other time in the New Testament. And it was in the middle of a parable that Jesus is giving or a story he's giving about judgment. It was a time that Jesus gave a really, really hard story, a hard story that was getting the attention of the religious. And he used this word slothful or this word lazy in Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. He said, but his master replied to him, you evil, lazy slave. Are you slothful slave? This is a strong word. This is a strong word association. The scripture is saying this, hey, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy. The New American Standard Bible is the most accurate translation. It's not the easiest to read, but it's the most accurate. Gives us even more insight to this. Let's look at the NASB in Romans 12, 11. It says, not lagging behind in diligence. Don't lag behind in diligence. The idea here is a slowness of speed, a lack of speed, a lack of urgency, a lack of excitement, a lack of energy. Is talking specifically about this connected with your service to the Lord. Don't lag behind. Don't be lazy. Don't be slothful. Don't have a sense of slowness about you. Like, I'll get around to doing what God called me to do later. I'll get around to the work of the Lord when it's more convenient. I'll get around to what God's assigned me to do when I'm ready to. God say, no, no. Instead, your attitude, your attitude should be one of diligence. That's the opposite of laziness. The idea of I am going to, with speed and with urgency, get about God's business. I'm gonna do what God's called me to do. I'm going to reach out to the person God wants me to reach out to. I'm going to volunteer for the ministry. I need to volunteer. I'm going to assemble that accountability group that I always wanted to be a part of. I'm going to meet those neighbors that I've lived, lived near three years and have never taken the opportunity to introduce myself. I'm going to get about God's business. I'm going to get to my devotions and not make my devotions the leftover. I'm going to get about the business of the Lord. And that's the warning to us today. The warning is don't be slow or don't be lazy in your energy. There's an attitude of the heart that should energize not only us, but others that say that I am quick to do God's will. I'm quick to do God's purpose. I'm ready to do what the master's called me to do. I want to assert myself and not wait any longer because God has a plan. And that plan is for me to be involved. My plan is to do what he's called me to do. Don't be slothful. Don't be lazy. Don't lag behind. Instead, with zeal, with, with diligence, finish the task. Start it and finish it. Do what God's called you to do. Now, one of the things I have a lot of zeal for, a lot of diligence for, is an art that we're still trying to develop in my house. And that is the art of pouring a drink into a glass or container. Now, I believe that, that sippy cups, when the kids were toddlers, were from God himself. 
I believe that all adults should continue to drink sippy cups because they have a lid and they control the flow of liquid. And when sippy cups were used in my house, you know, there were less spills and there were less stains and just things were easier. But as the kids got older, for some reason, they wanted to use this wicked, wicked invention called a cup. And they desired to use a cup. And so, so I decided that they weren't ready to graduate straight from sippy cups to styrofoam. Because in between, they needed a glass, a heavy glass. Because if you don't have a heavy glass and you spill and you pour too quick, what happens to a styrofoam cup? You all understand? It spills, right? I mean, this is very logical, but the children don't understand this. And so I enforced at the time that they need a glass before they go to the styrofoam cup. Well, last night, I'm getting a lot of dirty looks from the first row here. So anyway, last night, um, last night, I saw Lincoln, my youngest, get out a styrofoam cup and a two-liter bottle of soda, and he's about to pour. And I said, stop, wait, because he was not ready yet. He was not ready. So I said, son, let me pour the drink. So he takes, he takes the cup, and I pour the soda. And with my 38 years of experience of pouring a drink, I poured too much, it fizzed over, and it totally spilled on the floor. So life is a sermon illustration, and he looked up with these beautiful brown eyes and said, Dad, I need to tell you something. And I'm thinking, this is going to be such a demonstration of God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's understanding. He said, Dad, that was totally your fault. You totally blew it. He just wanted to reemphasize the point. Here was, there was the overflow. Okay, you've done it before too. You've poured soda, hadn't managed the fizz, it overflows. This is a type of word that the word fervent means. The word fervent is the Greek word zeo, which means boiling, boiling. So my second point I want to make is this, is an attitude that boils, an attitude that boils. I know that's an unusual word to use, but I thought, hey, maybe you'll remember my sermon if I give you something a little unusual. An attitude that boils. That's what zeo means. Be fervent or boil. Or the word picture here, as I'm telling you the story from this weekend, as of pouring a soda and it overflowing the cup. The idea behind this is, is that we should have so much excitement about the things of God that it boils over. I mean, it gets so hot that it boils over or the fizz goes over the cup. I mean, there's an excitement about the things of God. There's an excitement about the purposes of God. And this is the kind of attitude that God is calling us to have. And I want you to understand something. In order to have that type of attitude, you've got to work on it. Okay, you've got to work on it. Uh, It's intentional. It's a management issue. It's Making sure that when it comes to things that matter, I mean, the, the, your spiritual life, your spiritual development, manifesting the fruits of the Holy Spirit, reaching out to neighbors and friends, serving at the church body that you're at, that when you should boil over, you should, you should overflow with passion to do that. And that does not happen accidentally, and it's not based off your personality. It's a management issue. It's a priority issue. Now that word fervor, the word boil, is only used one other time in the New Testament. 
It was used to describe a, a guy you may or may not have heard of. His name is Apollos. And Apollos was mentioned by Paul. He was mentioned by Luke. He obviously had a very effective ministry. Paul himself mentioned what a great preacher Apollos was. We don't know a whole lot about him, but we know he was well-respected. Some, including me, think he may have wrote the book of Hebrews. That's a theory. No one knows that. But we do know this about Apollos, is that he boiled over and had fervor for God. Because that word is used again in Acts chapter 18, starting with verse 25. It says this way, starting, excuse me, verse 24. A Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was powerful in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and then here's the word, and being fervent in spirit. It's the same phrase there. Being contagious, being boiling over in spirit, he spoke and taught the things about Jesus accurately, although he knew only John's baptism. This idea, as we're full of the word, as we're filling ourselves up with the word of the Lord, with the things of God, when we're prioritizing, that we should boil over with everything that God has. In recent years, a television show that I enjoyed watching uh, it no longer runs. It was called The West Wing. West Wing was a hypothetical administration uh, that were in the White House. And so you got to see this portrayal of a White House staff and how they interacted with one another in this hypothetical presidency. Now, one of the things I enjoyed about this is, is seeing these interactions and seeing some of these stressful moments and the debate and the dialogue that would happen behind the scenes. And often, a scenario would happen where the staff at the White House would not agree with the president, either in the policy itself or the way the policy was executed. And when the decision had been finalized and there was no turning back, and when that staffer had to execute a decision that he or she didn't agree with, they would often use this phrase, I serve at the pleasure of the president. I serve at the pleasure of the president. The idea behind this was the stated authority desired for something to happen. And because of that, I'm going to execute what their desire is. This is very much the attitude that Paul is talking about when he wrote Romans 12:11. At the end of 12:11, he said, serving the Lord. That word serve there is talking about a relationship between a slave and an owner. The relationship between a slave and an owner. Here's the last thing I want you to observe today is an attitude for him. Attitude for him. Look one more time at Romans 12, 11. It says it this way, as we're discovering this verse, don't lack diligence. I mean, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy in zeal. Be fervent. Boil over in spirit. Be passionate. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Doing it for the Lord. Doing it, doing it for him. Choosing your attitude. Cultivating your attitude. Managing your attitude for the Lord. Serving him. Doing it for the pleasure of the one who owns you. Being passionate. Being excited about what you're doing for the pleasure of the one who owns you. Being enthusiastic, boiling over with enthusiasm 
for the one who loves you because he owns you and you serve him and you desire to make his wishes known. What often happens in life is this, is we have such enthusiasm at the beginning. You remember the first day of school? If it's a school you were familiar with, a school where you felt comfortable with, the first day of school was exciting. I mean, it was a fresh, it was a fresh opportunity. New teachers, new classmates, new shoes, because everyone starts school with new shoes, new opportunity. I mean, it was great. But by fall break, by fall break, you're so sick of school. So sick of school. Now, this is, and this is, we won't dig too deep into this. This is actually a result of the fall of mankind and the fall of sin, is that we start a job and we're very excited about that job. I mean, we are pumped about the new job and a year later, we're sick of it. That that's a reality we deal with because of the fall, because now our work is difficult. And so that's a natural reaction that the Lord wants to redeem. I think about our band members. We have, we have just a very dedicated member of band member. And every band member and every singer who starts off like that first week they play, it's like, oh, this is great. This is fun. This is exciting. Nine months later, after doing a Wednesday night rehearsal, getting here at 7 a.m., doing two services, it's just not as exciting anymore. That's just a natural reaction. Apply it any way you want to. And that's how it comes with our service to the Lord. I mean, we start off attending a 242 group. We're like, oh man, this is awesome. I love the fact we are in Christian community. But then it's like, wow, can't believe they scheduled that during fall break. Are you kidding me? Whatever the case is, there's zeal and there's excitement. And then because of the nature of sin and because of the nature of the fallen world, we drift from that. Listen, this is a warning to us today. Don't lack diligence. Be fervent in your attitude. Be boiling in your attitude. Be excited with your attitude. Serving the Lord because you're doing it for the Lord. Philippians chapter two, verse, verse starting at verse five takes this even deeper. It says this, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Now I could have just given you that line. We could have prayed. We could have called it good right there. That, that's the whole service right there. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. Don't, don't you love how there's an intentionality there? I didn't say be like Jesus if you have a certain personality trait. Be like Jesus if you have a certain demeanor. Be like Jesus if this, this circumstance in your life aligns with your desires. No, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. Put forth the effort. Rearrange your priorities. Manage your energy. Do what you have to do to act more like Jesus. And I want to tell you, I battle with this every day of my life. If you begin to make this your filter, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, it will, it will affect every behavioral choice you make because the challenge is great. But it's not just a challenge, it's an opportunity. Now, let's find out more about what Jesus did. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, 
Do you guys see where that's connected to Romans 12, 11? Serving the Lord. That word serving is talking about the slave to master relationship. Taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. Hey, that's what Jesus did. Go back to the first verse again. Let's see that phrase in verse five. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Well, that's what I want us to do in the rest of the service.